Welcome to the Mass Startup Podcast. This podcast explores the journeys behind some of Africa's emerging entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build what you believe in. Okay, cool. Um... So it's not often that I actually do um, interviews with other podcasters. Um, mainly, I actually have no reason why it hasn't happened before. Um, but I thought this was going to be a really great opportunity um, to chat to someone that I think you've been doing incredible work. Um, and we'll sort of get into it. But like, I wanted to start it off with um, reading this really interesting review, which I think is probably one of the best reviews I've read um, of a South African podcast. Is that cool? Yeah, 100%. Go ahead. Cool. Text Talks is right down my alley, providing the real get down on what's happening in the minds of South Africa's most interesting musicians. The level of personal journalism takes me back to the days of Rolling Stone and NME magazine, but with the flavor of a scene that I know and love as, pr- as a proud South African. It's great to have this content showcasing great music and packaged so well. This is from um, Stu Raver. I think that's like the most highest of compliments for a podcast. That is such an incredible review. I tend to like not read reviews Uh purely because I'm like my own harshest critic. So I think that I'm the type of person that if I had to read something bad, I'd be like, oh my God, no. (laughs) (laughs) Completely like go back to the drawing board and be like, why did they hate this episode? Um, So it's always really nice to get any kind of feedback, to be really honest. And that's an amazing review. So thank you for reading. (laughs) (laughs) So just to start off with and like, so people really understand who you are. Um, please do a short intro of yourself and the and the podcast that you started. Yes, so my name is Tekla Cholfi. Um, it's a very strange name. <laughs> my parents are Italian. I guess that makes me Italian, but I was born in South Africa, so first generation South African. And the podcast that I run is called Text Talks. Uh, it forms part of the umbrella. Uh, that is my music website called Tex in the City. My nickname is Tex, if you haven't already guessed. And Tex in the City uh, was started uh, 13 years ago uh, as a just very small uh, blog spot, which has now grown into uh, a fully-fledged entertainment website. And Tex Talks was started a year ago, in fact, almost exactly a year ago. Uh, and the aim of the music entertainment podcast was to from the get-go was to set the bar very high and to go in with a product that was slickly packaged well produced and well researched um and you know you mentioned in the beginning that you don't know why you don't talk to more podcasters and i think that's really because podcasting is in its infancy in south africa we really are just beginning to take off and beginning to see the sort of fruits of our labor um, manifest in terms of podcasting. So I think that there aren't really many of us at the moment. So I think you'll probably find that you'll start talking to more podcasters as the years go on and as more podcasts start to come into fruition. And I've actually seen that a lot, especially over the initial lockdown period. There are lots of South African Mm. podcasts that that have all of a sudden sprung up. And it's really really interesting and very exciting to have to be a part of an industry that's taking off from the get-go you know I mean you must feel that way as well yeah I mean you know sort of been in it about three years or so now um but I do feel that like um well if three years makes you OG (laughs) (laughs) and like I, I do agree with you like um we're still in a very early stage of where podcasts could be and where they're going. But I think um, podcasts like yourselves, like where you guys are taking an approach that is um, very much deeper and going into like the things that really matter um, and like speaking to artists or creators um, at a much deeper level than say, you know, 
traditional media might. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's an investment in really understanding who they are, um, what really motivates them and like how they actually try and reach people and build really meaningful communities through doing that. Um, what would you say is like the foundations of, you know, how you guys create content and what what influences this investment in making sure that, you know, you can make someone say um, this 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 podcast feels like early days of Rolling Stone? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's probably the best sentence out of that whole review. I mean, that's such a high, high praise. Um, I think that. You touched on a very interesting point saying that majority of our mainstream media, entertainment media in this country are more concerned with the sensationalism aspect of a musician, who they're dating, what they're wearing, uh, as opposed to the music that they're making. And I think that that's very sad. Uh, So this gap has been created by mainstream media because they're more concerned with chasing hits than they are with creating quality content. And That's always what I've strived to do in whatever it is that I'm putting out, be it an album review, a a a face-to-face interview with a musician, or a podcast episode. I mean, I really, um, my goal with anything, and I always say this to my team and like the younger writers that I mentor as well, I say to them, if somebody can walk away from reading an interview, reading a review, listening to a podcast, and walk away having learned something about the musician that they've read about or listened to, then you've done your job. Uh, because it should there should be an educational aspect to whatever work it is that you're putting out. And I also wanted the podcast to be able to attract as many listeners as possible. I didn't want to pigeonhole myself as being, you know, the podcast that only interviews alternative musicians or rappers i wanted to be able to go from interviewing casper vest and nasty c to interviewing the lumineers and passenger and you know the we're planning now for season five and season six and it just gets more and more interesting because we we keep digging more and more i mean now we're looking at like jazz musicians and we're looking at adult contemporary musicians and and the more we dig and the more we research the more I also learn about South Africa and South African music because yeah I've been in the game for 13-15 years but I'm learning every single day and I think that is the most interesting aspect of my job it's like every day it's something new and something different and exciting. Yeah, and like something that I always talk about is like making sure that you teach someone something new, make them feel something new, or like move them in some way, which is like mm-hmm. such an important like um, formula for creating any piece of content is making sure that there's impact on the on the other side for the person that's reading, listening, or watching. Why do you think traditional media doesn't see that or doesn't really focus on that as much? I really think it's because of their KPIs and what is going on in the boardroom and what they're driven by. They're driven by stats. And unfortunately, you know, long think pieces, people don't read them anymore. Like people's attention spans are very, very short. And we've seen that now in the way that um, even even on apps like TikTok and think like social media, the, the, uh, the way that we consume social media, it's becoming less and less and less. And it's... 15 second videos, 30 second videos. And um, I mean, I've even seen it with text in the city. I, I, I check on the back end sort of every month to see how long people are spending on the site. And while the stats are still good, the duration of how long people spend gets less and less by a good few seconds every year. And that's because people just don't have the time to sit and read even like an 800 word piece. So this was also one of the reasons that we decided to do the podcast as well, because I wanted to branch out. And I also think that my strength has always been talking to people. Face-to-face has always been my number one. So obviously now when lockdown happened, I had to (laughs) kind of just cross my fingers and hope that uh, recording remotely would be okay. And so far, so good. (laughs) But, um, But I, you know, to go back to your original question, of mainstream media and why they don't focus on on um, 
long form content or, or in stories that are a bit more in depth. I remember in season one, I interviewed uh, Jovi from BCUC. And I said to him, you know, when BCUC was confirmed to play Glastonbury, they were one of only four South African artists to be, uh, well, to, to really to have the honor. There was Spook Matambo, Springbok Nude Girls, John Wizards, and there's another band. Well, yeah, the fourth band to BCUC. And nobody covered it. I was the only website that covered it. And I said to Jovi, like, this is news that should be everywhere. Like, News 24 should be covering this. You, you know, it should be, it's gigantic news. And if it was any other country, um, for example, Australia, who Australia have a gigantic focus on the arts. I mean, Triple J, which is a huge independent radio station, is government funded, which I didn't know that until I actually went to Australia. Um so I think we just, it's a, it's a pity that the big media corporations don't focus on it more. But I also feel like as much as there is a swing in the direction of tabloid sensationalism and hits, eventually it's going to swing the other way. It has to. Um, and I think we're seeing that more and more. I'm seeing that more and more now with smaller blogs uh, uh, starting to creep up that are focusing on the next wave and the next generation. So it's also a very exciting time to be in digital media. Yeah. And like, I think of um, <clears throat> where we are now and it's, it's such a perfect time for new players, but mm. um, with 13 years experience and running this platform, um, what would you say you've learned that I think new people can sort of learn from? Um, I think that, wait, before that question, actually, what happened to all the blogs? Uh. <laughs> Sure, that's a very good question. I mean, like, when I started, and I I was Cape Town-based up until about three years ago, and then I moved to Joburg uh, to grow the business, and then very recently, I, as of like three months ago, I've moved back to Cape Town. Um, but when I started Text in the City in Cape Town, I was at Varsity, uh, there, it was myself, it was my city by night, don't party, we are awesome, Mahala, Durban is yours. There were all of these sites because there were flourishing indie scenes and music scenes. As things have changed and as the music industry has changed and MCAR disappeared and all of the venues in Durban closed down and the scene really changed. And, you know, 5FM, that was the dominant radio station at the time, they were playing like Prime Circle and Just Ginger and all of that. That was that is no longer the mainstream music. I mean, it's house and it's I'm a piano and it's gum and it's hip hop. And, and as mainstream culture changed, uh, I had to, I mean, it sounds very dramatic, but Texas City had to adapt or die. And we've very slowly but surely, you know, incorporated all of these genres into the content that we create. And I think that we've done it really well because our focus has always been on alternative and independent artists, which is the most important thing. And, you know, I think that the reason that we are the only blog that's still around out of all of those blogs that I mentioned, uh, except for My City by Night, but they're more electronic focused. The reason that we're around is because I never set out to make money from Ticks in the City. It was purely a passion project. And I loved writing and I love music. Oh, I still love both of them. I mean, it's the two things that fuel me every day. And when the money started coming from campaigns and from social media and other things, I was like, oh, this is, this is nice. But money was never the driver. And I really believe that that's the reason that we're still around and that the business continues to grow year on. Mm. And like, what would you say? So back to my original question, um, what are the things, you know, one or two, three things um, that you think have been able to help you keep um, the blog sustainable, but also diversify into podcasts and, you know, go into different types of media? Um, what are the things that you've learned ac um, across your journey that you think someone that wants to start a platform like this or something um, different um, could learn from? So I think there are two very main things that I've learned. The first is to 
never be set in your ways and to always be open to opportunities that crop up around you. And so, for example, if I had been stubborn and I had said, no, Tex in the City is just going to focus on alternative music and that's that, we'd be dead by now. We'd be, you know, like six feet under. Mm. But because I, I listened to the people who were reading the site and I listened to my writers and what my writers started to listen to. And I also saw, I kept an eye on the scene. It's very, like, I'm still a very active part of the scene. I saw the scene change. And I was like, no, we've got to roll with the times. So I think to be able to be adaptable is a very important quality. Mm-hmm. And then the second, the second thing is to not think that you can do everything by yourself. That was a very big lesson for me to learn. And, I, you know, I, I was sort of slugging away at Text in the City, writing, uploading content. And things in the beginning, things didn't really seem to be going anywhere. Like, it, I, I attracted a good audience, but I felt like I was stuck in the rut. And it was only really when I started to incorporate new writers and accept help from other people to do my social media and... Uh, collaborate with people on a bigger scale and listen to the ideas of other people. I mean, if it wasn't for my producer, Jonathan Ings, uh, on Text Talks, who's also a very good friend of mine, he's been in the music industry also for 10, 13 years. Um, if it wasn't for him saying, why do you not have a podcast? Let me produce a podcast for you. I wouldn't have a podcast. And I think if he had come to me a few years ago, I would be like, no, I'm sorry. I would have shut the idea down immediately I would have been like I'm too busy I don't have time now I must add a podcast onto my list of things to do but when he came to me and he said why don't you have a podcast I said I'm so busy why don't you help me and then he was like oh my god a hundred percent and he's so clued up and he's like he consumes podcasts on a crazy level so I said to him I know nothing about podcasts I'll be very honest with you um, and then he sent me like all of these links to, to read. And he was like, you know, read up on this case study and listen to this podcast. And this is a very cool intro. What do you think of that? And really to surround yourself, you don't know everything, right? Mm. So to surround yourself with people who are experts in their field or who are passionate uh, about certain things really widens your pool of knowledge. So yeah, to be able to accept the fact that you can't do everything and to collaborate with other people and keep yourself open to collaborating with other people, I think is a very important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And it it goes back to what you mentioned, which is like adapt or die, which is what this sort of pandemic has really forced people into. And um, what are your thoughts around um, how South African musicians or even musicians internationally have adapted um, to the realities that we're facing now, right? So the music industry had to shift the way in which they distribute their music in terms of like live concerts being gone, um, live experiences being gone, and like having to reach their audiences in new ways. Um, what's your assessment of how South African musicians and sort of South African labels have really like taken on the, the pandemic and like um, how they're navigating it right now? So I feel like the lockdown exposed the, the, the inequalities in our music scene. So the musicians that are signed to record labels or have their own record labels or do, have done very well over the years, they, majority of them, managed to sustain themselves through money that they've made through gigs or merch or their music you know, or they're being paid uh, a salary by their label. But the musicians that are part-time musicians or underground musicians, unsigned musicians, those are the ones that really struggle the most. And I work with uh, quite a few bands that are unsigned, independent, up-and-coming. And it's very hard because their lifeline and how they make money is primarily for gigs. So when you cut off their lifeline, there's nothing. So I think what we're going to see uh, in, the, in the next few years is the repercussions of that and is this gap in these up-and-coming musos and in new 
bands. And I've already started to see it very, very briefly this year, just in terms of the submissions, the kinds of submissions that we're getting to ticks in the city. I mean, normally, I mean, I'd be drowning in my inbox um, and I'm not necessarily getting as many submissions from independent musicians as I used to. That being said, the musicians in the other camp who, you know, Casper <laughs> Nyobes told me that he had to sell off a Bentley, you know, tough times. Like he had to, he had to try. Yeah, I mean, very tough, <laughs> tough times. <laughs> very, very tough times. I mean, he had to try and sustain all of his wealth that he built. And I mean, people don't understand. I mean, obviously, I, I don't know what he's paying off. He could be paying off two houses and, you know, have his life insurance and his medical insurance and he could be paying for family. Who knows? You don't know what his bills are. Um, but, you know, the the second that that first camp of musicians are in a completely different league. And I feel like those are the musicians that were able to put on live streams with the backing of their record label um, and, you know, do crowdfunding campaigns or, uh, or you know, some of them are, are even sponsored by brands. And that's how, you know, they manage to sustain their income during this time. So I feel like in... Um, in general, we did really well, but you know there are only so many live streams that you can watch. Like I, <laughs> I do a weekly segment on Mix FM with Tabo Magobane, and <laughs> we would joke about it every Saturday morning and say like, "This week in what we're live streaming," and we'd be like, <laughs> "You know, we're so I'm actually music." is my job and going to gigs is my job. So, so inherently live streams became my job. And I was like, I'm so sick and tired of like staring at my TV screen or staring at my laptop screen because also like I'm staring at my laptop, uh, five days a week. Now it's the weekend. Now I must stare at my laptop again to like live stream a gig. Like it just, it got very monotonous and very old, very fast. So, um, in the beginning, I think it was novel. Everyone was like, yeah, it's cool. And we're, you know, house partying and resuming and we're doing all this stuff. And like now it's kind of worn off a little bit. The novelty's yeah. worn off. So it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, already I can feel the COVID fatigue and like slowly people are starting to do gigs here and there, you know, and they're like, oh, this gig is sold out, but it's only 50 people. But I mean, you know, I guess, you know, it's better, better than that than nothing. Mm. Um, so I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that uh, progresses and how musicians and labels and promoters keep that up, keep the momentum up, keep the, the spirits up um, in terms of where do we go from here? Yeah. And like, I think um, there was so much room for innovation um, in the challenges that everyone was facing um, and like new ways to win for musicians or artists or creators. Um, why do you think um, South Africans aren't really jumping onto stuff like Patreon or say OnlyFans, but not from an adult content perspective, but just creating exclusive content um, and stuff like that? Because I think, I think of that as being part of the innovation of like bringing new experiences to the audiences or the communities that you've built. Um, but you don't really see a lot of South African musicians going that direction. Um, is that just a lack of faith in technology or just not being willing to try things that might be outside of their wheelhouse? Yeah, I think definitely a lack of faith in technology. But also people forget that uh, piracy is huge in this country. Um, so like... We've we've got a way to go before, you know, um, sites. What's that huge? There's that one huge site that they put up music like all the time. Like something's out for like a day and then it goes up on the site and it gets downloaded everywhere. I think uh, South African musicians are more worried with like combating piracy and mm -hmm. illegal downloads than they are with like a Patreon or an OnlyFans. I mean, there are some musicians that have successfully used Patreon, like Shane Cooper. Um, I interviewed him on Text Talks and we, he spoke at length about Patreon and how he subscribes to some of his favorite musicians on Patreon and then they get, you know, free tears and he gave me the whole breakdown. And 
even though he explained it to me in depth, as a consumer, like, I still ne wouldn't necessarily sign up for something like that. I would just rather go and, like, traditionally buy merch or go and stream an album. So I guess it's it's also people like me, like, I'm the consumer that you have to, um, that you have to convert, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, since you started the podcast and, like, the musicians that you've spoken to, um, how receptive have they been to being on a podcast, first of all, but also um, with the deep sort of insights that you try and pull out, um, is, does that come as a shock or a surprise to them that, you know, someone's done research on them and really actually understands what they do or how they want to do it and what, why the music matters, um, all these different things? Um, how, how different has that been as an experience? So I think we've only been dissed by two musicians and they were like, not now, but maybe later. Uh, I mean, hopefully we can get them on the podcast in the future. And they, they weren't just like giving me some sort of excuse. Um, but I think a majority of them, I can tell like from the first three, four minutes, whether or not they're into the interview or not. Mm. And normally, if they're not, it, it takes me a while to get to them, like, and for them to settle into the podcast, uh, which has happened a few times. And then by the end, we're like besties. <laughs> but um, there's, there's always... Maybe they don't necessarily show it, but I've had a few instances where there's been like genuine shock, like, wow, um, you know, I can't believe you asked that question. Like, how do you even know that? And I think it's something, again, it's something that we pride uh, ourselves on. And it's something that we wanted to do from the get go was to make sure that the podcast was properly researched and um, the questions dug a bit deeper, like below the surface. So, I mean, we really spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time listening to the music. Um, I mean, I probably have half of the guys, uh, you know, if they have a new re uh, release out, I've listened to it already. So, you know, I already go into the interview like a few steps ahead. Um, but also I know as well, from being interviewed and being in the seat and having people ask me questions. I always appreciate it so much more. If someone like slaps me with a left field question, like I remember I did, I did a, an interview on, I think it was like Tux FM for Women's Day. And this interviewer had gone so far back and she asked me about like the time I entered Idols. And I was like, what? Like, how do you? <laughs> Firstly, I really wish that we'd left that in the past. But, se <laughs> but secondly, like, how do you even know that? And that, I mean, that was like when I was in high school. And I think I said it once in an interview, like way back with like Cape Town Magazine or something. Um, and, and, then, and then she asked me about like my obsession with Nicolas Cage. And I was like, oh my God. Okay, this, <laughs> this girl has really gone all out. So, so, I mean, we don't necessarily like dig that much. Um, but also there's a, there's a fine balance, I feel, between doing your research and then pushing the boundaries of what you can ask with a musician. So I'm, I'm making reference to the Casper interview a lot, but like everybody knows that Casper and AKA have beef. It's like tail is all this time. And I really didn't want to be that interviewer and I left it to the end, to the end, to the end. And I felt like him and I, we got along really well. Like we had really good interview chemistry. And then at the end, I was like, listen, you just got to level with me. Like, what do you think about AKA? And without even missing a beat, he was like, yo man, I don't really like that guy. And I was like, yes, this, this is what I want. I also, <laughs> but I, 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 I want to get the tea, right? But I also don't want it to be like come across as forced or come across as, you know, it's just me searching like mainstream media, searching for my hits. You know, it's got to make sense in the context of the whole conversation, which I think it did, because then we spoke about their boxing match, which was then postponed. I don't know if it's even happening. So, yeah. So, I mean, a similar thing happened with 
the lumineers. So we were told before the interview, listen, don't ask about uh, Jeremiah's brother, who used to be part of the band who OD'd on heroin mm-hmm. uh, and, and died uh, subsequently. Very sad. Uh, and don't ask about Wesley's aunt, um, who the album was based on, the album that we were talking about was based on and who is, uh, who is an alcoholic. Um, and I was kind of like, okay, fine. Jeremiah's brother, totally understand. But the, we're talking about the new album and addiction forms a very large part. But, but fine, fine. You know, I don't, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. So I'm not going to ask those questions. Obviously, I had them in the bag, but, you know, you want to be respectful. And they brought it up during the interview. So mm-hmm. I asked about the theme of addiction of the album. And Jer- uh, uh, Wesley automatically was like, okay, so my mother's... Um, no, my, my wife's mother, so it's actually his mother-in-law, um, is an alcoholic. And then he was like, and then there's another alcoholic in my family. And this is what it's, and he went in depth. And he was like, this is what it's based on. And then we started speaking about addiction. And then Jeremiah was like, yeah, my, my brother. So I, I'm trying to remember how it came up. I think, oh, we were talking about like inappropriate questions or like the media, like uh, being intrusive. Because when you write an album about addiction, obviously people are going to ask you about addiction. And then he Mm. said, yeah, but Jeremiah was like, there are certain ways of asking questions. For example, um, my brother died of a heroin overdose. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I didn't ask the question when Mm. he said it. Mm. Um, And and then he said that it was 9 o'clock in the morning on TV. And uh, a presenter was like, oh, yeah, Jeremiah, so your brother. And he said that it was just the wrong place, the wrong time. And, you know, you need to learn as a, as a member of the media how to be sensitive. And then we had a great discussion about, you know, addiction and how, how it affects you growing up and, you know, losing family members. And I think that that um, is a very good example of me still being respectful, but them choosing to want to talk about it because they felt like they were in a safe space. Yeah. And I think like so much more comes from those authentic conversations where it gets brought up and someone says, hey, you know, um, this is something that we can speak about, but like in the right way as well. And like making sure that you're driving some sort of learning or insight for the people that are listening um, becomes so valuable. There there was a, a beautiful moment in my interview with Cornelius S.A. now in, in this season that we just wrapped, um, where he talks about his journey. And I, I, I've i been following Cornelius for a while. He's an incredible DJ. And I really think he's going to blow up to like black coffee proportions. I think it's only a matter of time. And when I was doing research on him, I realized that there weren't really a lot of interviews that went in depth um, that really chronicled his story from beginning to where he is now. Um, which I think is like the pinnacle of, you know, about to like blow up or on the precipice of like about to blow up. And, and so we really spoke about his journey literally from beginning to end with the idea of, you know, I want people to use this interview with him as like a research point of sorts. So I was looking for something, I couldn't find it. So here we talk about his, you know, you know, from beginning to where he is now and there was a very beautiful moment where he like, you know, had to like stop and compose himself because he was talking about, you know, having no creative uh, inspiration or energy and being on the point of just like quitting it all. And then he got this amazing email from the Red Bull Music Academy telling him that he'd been accepted. And, you know, he went out into the road and he just screamed because there was nobody there for him to celebrate it with. And it's just, it's those kinds of, real moments of emotion that I never really even thought about capturing when we started text talks. And that's why it's been so beautiful that they've kind of, they've happened very, I hate this word, but they've happened very organically. Mm -hmm. Wait, why do you hate the word organically? I just, it's been so (laughs) overused. The word organically and the word collective. I mean, oh my God. (laughs) I think authentic is way more (laughs) overused. (laughs) 
Okay, and now that you've pointed that out to me, I hate the word authentic as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you do create these authentic um, connections <laughs> with people, which I think is like such a, a, a big skill um, for podcasters specifically, mainly because um, you, you realize with like mainstream media slash radio or even TV, it's really like... A, a, a very like rushed approach, right? Like you've got three minutes or five minutes to interview this person. Mm -hmm. You just want to get as much out as you possibly can. And you're not shaping any sort of experience to really understanding the person or really learning from them in any way. You really, it's like a, a fast food approach to content that I actually think takes away so much more than it actually gives. I love that. A fast food approach to content. I'm totally going to use that. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so speaking about um, your platform, you know, um, I've heard a lot of really great things. Um, obviously, having read uh, the reviews as well, which is really great, and the community that you're building out. Um, in terms of like sustaining the platform itself, what are you guys doing um, to, to, you know, monetize the platform and keep it like running mm -hmm. the way it has with the quality that it has as well? So I have clients that I design campaigns for um, that I have monthly retainers with. Uh, so that is primarily what keeps the website afloat. That and the advertising uh, that is taken on the site as well. With the podcast, uh, early days, but uh, we did a campaign with Ray-Ban for their summer campaign at the end of 2020, which was really great and also very, oh God, my favorite word, organic, because I um, have been working with Ray-Ban for the last sure, maybe eight years. So that was really great to move from working with them on Text in the City to working with them on Text Talks. Um, and then, you know, we've had, uh, we've had a few... Uh, advertisers take out adverts and we also fingers crossed potentially have something very great coming for not season five not the next season but season six fingers crossed um that hopefully i can share with you and if you invite me back yay and then, <laughs> um yeah it's listen it hasn't been easy but i'm always willing to work with a client within their budget and also, I think another reason that we've been getting so many campaigns to work on with like a Tom's Music Store or a Ray-Ban or a TuneCore is because we've kept, I've kept, the integrity of the site when it comes to advertising and the type of brands that advertise on the site. So we are first and foremost a music website. You're not going to find an advert for, I don't know, some sort of like Yuppie Chef vibe or, you know, Mr. Price Home or anything like, you're not going to find, it's gonna, everything on the site is going to be tailored towards my audience and everything is going to make sense. And because of the brand integrity, um, more, we've, we've been able to get more clients over the years because they know that if they advertise with us, we're going to be getting a certain they're going to be getting a certain level of engagement. I think that's very important. Yeah, and making sure that you don't like portray the community that you're building, which I think is so important to you. Um, you know, f well, whether from from listening to the content itself, but like just hearing you speak, it feels like you are way more willing to forego the check in order to make sure that yeah. you're building a strong community and impacting people in a meaningful way. Yeah. Definitely, 100%. But also, with that comes the fact that I have been in the game for a very long time. So when potential clients approach me and the brand makes sense, they must know that, you know, I'm going to be charging what I'm worth. Um, there are some people that still like to take the piss. <laughs> I'm like, That's true. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Like, this is what I'm worth. Um there, you know, there have been instances where the work doesn't fit the budget, but I'm willing, like you say, I'm willing to forego the check. And I'm like, okay, fine, but, you know, this is a cool campaign. 
you know, you're, this is a cool brand. And I see longevity in terms of like a working relationship. So, you know, then I'm, you know, very happy to, to sort of look the other way. Um, but it's, you know, you have to know your worth. And this is what I say all the time. Cause I work with a lot of young up and coming musicians, writers, creatives, and, um, a lot of them struggle with knowing how much to charge and, you know, do I do this work for free? And I'm like, well, my response is always the same. I'm like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I worked for free for a very long time. Um, but it got, but I worked for free in a smart way. Like I worked for free for people who I knew there was work from in the future, you know, uh, and, and there was work from in the future. And it, eventually I started to make a living off that. So you got to work smart. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should come in from day one, guns blazing, charging like a thousand rand <laughs> per article, you know. And I'm also very open and transparent about how much to charge. Like I always send people the Safria rates, the South African freelancing rates and like to have a look at, and I'm like, this is how much people are charging. This is how much I was charging like five years ago. This is how much you should be charging now, you know? Um, because I feel like we don't talk about money enough. We're not transparent with how much, especially if uh, on a freelance level, we're not transparent with how much people are earning. And I think if people knew how much to charge, they wouldn't be taken advantage of to the extent that they are. That's true. And I think like across creator economy, but more so um, with, you know, digital media, whether that's influencers, um, podcasters, mm -hmm. you know, newsletters, blogs, whatever it is, there is this sort of information gap around how to actually charge or like um, put a price or value on the things that you're making or trying to, mm. to build as well. What would you say is something that's really helped you um, sort of build out that um, initial sort of, you know, price list or, hey, this is what I think I'm worth and this is how <laughs> I think you should, um, you know, <clears throat> compensate me for something that I'm doing. Um, what would you say is like the first thing that really helped you um, get started with that? So in the beginning, and this is why it's really sad that all of those blogs that I listed are no longer around, because because we were a community, I could phone up Craig Stack from My City by Night and be like, X brand wants to work with me. They've just asked me what my floor rate is. I don't know what a floor rate is. Do you know what a floor rate is? And then he'd be like, oh, my God, no, I don't. Let me call Andrew Berry from We Are Awesome. And then he'd call Andrew. And then Andrew would explain what a floor rate is. And then and then the same client would be like, uh, we want to also know what your ceiling rate is. And then I'd call Craig and be like, I don't know what a ceiling rate is. So we kind of all fed off each other um, because at the time when we all sprung up, all of the brands that wanted to run campaigns would normally contact all of us because we were in the same pool. Um, so we banded together and we were like an unofficial union, which was very cool. So that's how we set up pricing for a Facebook post, a tweet, an Instagram post. Obviously, as different blogs started to grow at different rates, we started to charge um, different ones as followings grew, but at least we all sort of knew like, okay, we're going to charge like 1000 Rand for an Instagram person. Like that's what it's going to be. So that's how, how I started initially to fo formulate a price list. Um, now it's different. So I, obviously I have my corporate price list uh, rates, but then I find myself working more and more within a budget now. So a client will come and they'll say, listen, we have X, what can you do for this? So I'd be like, okay, well, technically it should only be four posts, but I mean, I can do four posts on a, you know, like four posts on the blog and then throw in like free Instagram posts or whatever. So now, now I think just because I've got more experience in it and I just, you know, know what a post is worth, I can tailor make a campaign, which I actually prefer to do, to be honest, because I feel like the client gets more bang for their buck. Yeah. And having that flexibility or adaptability to help them really understand the value of, you know, whatever budget that they might have. And like, 
stretching it creatively to create like some valuable, impactful work still. 100%, exactly. Yeah. And what do you think is, you know, back to the music, um, what do you think the future of music in South Africa will be? You know, um, the more platforms are available to help independent artists sort of break through um, with more people, you know, just using the internet to get, you know, a lot more traction on what they're actually doing or what they're putting out. Um, the landscape sort of shifts and develops very differently to how it is right now. Um, what do you think it looks like? You know, Mash, I think that that's a very interesting question, um, which I don't have a concrete answer to purely because in the space of like a year, the scene has changed so dramatically and the eyes of the world are really on Africa at the moment in terms of a whole bunch of things that we're doing creatively. But the sounds that are coming out of South Africa specifically are influencing like everybody from Major Lazer, who, who came here to collaborate with Moonchild and Morena Laraba and like Damon Alban, who came here and did a whole album and Cold Cut, who also came here and did a whole cross continental album and everybody's looking to us at the moment for inspiration and like what the next big thing is going to be and I really think that we've got to look at like our smaller communities um that's where I mean that's where Gorm came from that's where Amapiano came from um and I'm pretty sure that within like the next six to eight months we're going to have another subgenre that's going to come out and completely take over because we we're like our creatives at the moment are they're on fire. Um, in terms of the business side of things, streaming just continues to grow and grow. And I, I, I see it being the way that we consume music for the foreseeable future. But, you know, I spoke about the pendulum swinging earlier. Eventually the pendulum's going to swing in the opposite direction, in the direction of something new. So, you know, we had vinyl, then we had cassettes, then we had CDs, now we have streaming. There's been a bit of a throwback to vinyl. I reckon there'll be a bit of a throwback to cassettes as well in like the next 10 years. And then, they'll, you know, eventually there'll be a throwback to CDs. But they, it's, so, it's so exciting because people who are much smarter than me are developing new technologies all the time. And it's my job to be on top of them. You know, like I think the next big app in this country is Clubhouse. And I've been watching Clubhouse very, very closely. And in South Africa, for some unknown reason, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. We were trying to figure this out. Clubhouse in South Africa has been co-opted by the music scene, <laughs> mm. which is really cool. So all of these conversations, majority of the conversations on Clubhouse that are being had are being had about music, which I think is so interesting. It just shows you how rich our scene is at the moment. So I'm watching Clubhouse very, very closely to see what's going to happen there and what's going to develop. But other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for the next, you know, big thing, the next trend. Yeah. And like, what do you see the future of text, text talks being as well? Oh, sure. Are you going to um, do a clubhouse room soon? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Live podcast listening? You know, uh, maybe, actually. That's actually that's actually a really great idea. Maybe I might do that. You, you, but like, so I'm not actually on clubhouse because I have an Android phone, which is the worst. So I'm thinking of like getting rid of my Android phone and getting an iPhone purely because I can, <laughs> I can be on clubhouse. Yeah. Because people have been sending me invitations all the time and they're like, oh my God, there are these crazy music discussions that are being had. Why are you not a part of them? And I'm like, actually, you know what? You, you make, you make sense. So <laughs> whenever I'm on clubhouse, I'm like on clubhouse via someone else's profile which I don't know if you're actually allowed to do. But anyway, I like, you know, I'm, I'm there like watching. Um, but I don't know. I think I, I would love for text talks to like become internationally syndicated. Like I think that our content is good enough for us to do that. Um, and I don't know, but it's, it's all about, you know, good content, but also a little bit of luck. Like, when we recorded the first season, it was before lockdown, uh, and I did 
the whole of the first season in studio with face to face with the musicians. And then when lockdown happened, we were like, oh my God, how are we going to do this? Because my strength is sitting opposite somebody having a conversation with them. And I was like, I don't know if this is really going to translate um, as well in the second season. But then we launched and we launched at the beginning of April, at the beginning of lockdown. And it just so happened that everybody was at home. The majority of people were online. They were looking for something to do. And I really think that the podcast was a success because of that. I, you know, I don't know if it would have been as much of a success and, you know, all these streams and number one on Apple podcasts and all of that. I don't think it necessarily would have been as big if it wasn't right place, right time, you know? So like good content, but also a little bit of luck. That's true. Well, I really, really hope you the best of success. I think not just from just the reviews that I've read, but also just having a conversation with you. Um, I really appreciate the work that you're doing and like being, you know, very other about how you're doing things, you know, not um, falling for, you know, whatever the mainstream um, way of things of doing things might be, but trying to carve a completely new path. And I think the future of not just digital content, but like blogs, podcasts, music um, is in good hands with more people, you know, being invested in trying to educate people as much as possible and creating those, those, those connections that really matter. You're an absolute sweetheart. Thank you so much. That's, and like, you know, similarly, what you're doing as well is incredible. And, you know, providing a platform and really taking the time to ask thoughtful questions and to dive into what people do and how they do it and what makes them tick. And I've enjoyed this so much. I cannot tell you. So thank you again. Thank you so much.